0: Good morning again everybody. I want to bring you a message this morning and I thought it would be good to start with a warning. I'm doing a talk on doing money God's way and I thought it was important to start with, with a warning because it's dangerous to hear biblical teaching about money and about our responsibility as, as stewards of the resources that God's entrusted to us. Um, and, and it. And it can be confronting in a beautiful way because it brings freedom. Generosity is actually something that brings freedom and I really appreciate what you shared, Blair, about motivation for giving. It brings a freedom. And during this week as I was preparing this and I was I uh, was doing uh, research and I was thinking about backgrounds for some of the slides that are getting come back on the screens. I was looking for things and I put in word searches on generous and generosity and comes up with all these different quotes from different people and I thought oh some of these are really cool Then I thought hey why don't I write one for myself so I had a bit of a shot at it and that'll come up now this is my thing this is what I wrote that God is the most generous being that exists that's my starting point I believe that's a biblical starting point God's the most generous being that exists Therefore, the absence of generosity in the life of a Christian is evidence that Jesus is not Lord and an accusation against God. So I was thinking about, so how can it be that there are Christians who aren't generous if God's the most generous being that exists? If a Christian is someone who is in a relationship with God, who is the most generous being that exists, then if there's not a generosity that's seen in that person's life, what's, what's, what might be going on there? And this is what I came up with. You might think of something for yourself. It's like, well, actually, it means that Jesus isn't Lord. And it also means that actually in their heart, there's an accusation they've got against the character of God that they may not even be aware of, but they need to become aware of that. It's also the idolatry of greed. And one of the things that Paul warned the Colossians about was a warning against idolatry. Sorry, greed because greed is idolatry, which is, again, failing to give God what he is worthy of. And it's the seduction of thinking that what I have belongs to me. That's been the biggest, one of the biggest problems that all of humanity has ever had is the thinking that, thinking that I, I, I own stuff. And I think we wrongly use words in some of how we speak and we speak of the traditional owners of things because the, the owner is God. The rest of us are simply Stewards. So the seduction of thinking that what I have belongs to me. And it's the forgetfulness of the coming day of the Lord. And the scriptures are always pointing to this reality. It's like we live with the day of the Lord that's coming. That the day the Lord comes back, the day the Lord sits on his throne and evaluates every single human being, including me, including you. And you might be thinking, well, hang on. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm Christian. I'm not having any judgment. And I would simply say, read the Bible and look and see what, what the Bible actually says because the Bible says we'll all stand before the Lord and have an evaluation of our life. And I've shared with you before that that's part of the thing that motivates me. It motivates me to live the way I do. It motivates Julie and I to live and to do what we do because we understand there will be a life evaluation. There's a final exam, if you like, that comes for all of us. And so so when I, when I fail to cultivate generosity in my life... And yet I claim to be a follower of, and of Jesus, who's the expression of the invisible God, and that God is the most generous being that exists, then something has gone wrong inside. And generosity isn't just about money. It's actually uh, an attitude of my heart. Because for some of us, sorry... Should, I want to be careful. There are some people who can write checks with lots of zeros on them and a number at the front end of that. I can write ones with... Well, we don't write checks anymore. We just we do other things. But there was a time, for those of you who don't know what a check is, uh, look up the history books and you'll find there was a, there was things called checks and you would write a check out and you would give that to someone. And so... You know, we can, we can do this thing. Some of us can easily give money. But that doesn't mean we're generous. Because generosity is more than, than money. It involves money, but it's actually an overflow of my heart. And it's actually the way that I give it and all sorts of other things and the giving of my time. And the opening up of my heart and the giving of my love to people generously. See, generosity manifests. When you think about God being the most generous being that exists, and you think about how is his generosity manifested, and you look through the scriptures and you see his generosity is manifested in so many different ways. It is a beautiful uh picture of generosity and so and that's the standard that we're all being called up to that's the standard that I'm pursuing Julie's pursuing and that's the standard we're saying as a church let's keep rising up we haven't got there yet let's keep going on about that so there was a number of years ago uh, by the way for those of you that are new to new life this is this was, and you've come in recently. This is this is probably the first money talk you've heard. I wanted to make money. Money is often a taboo subject in churches, other than you should give. I, I always thought that the Bible says much more about stewardship and about it's much bigger subject. And I, and for many years, I, I taught a, a, a four week series every year because I said part of discipling people is actually bringing all of our resources under the lordship of Jesus and so we do a four-week series. Uh, Today you're going to get four weeks in one go and I need to keep moving on. So the next slide, I I developed this phrase a number of years ago as I was looking at the scriptures and I said, Doing money God's way. When you look at the scriptures, there's a way that God has said for his people to do money. There's a way, there's a pattern. There's patterns for everything in the Bible. When you, when you look at it, when you start from Genesis and you read through, you see all these patterns that God has laid out through the scriptures for his people. Because it's part of actually establishing us as belonging to him. He said, because you belong to me, because you are my holy people, then then this is the way you live. And in living that way, you demonstrate to the rest of the world around about you who I am and what it means to be mine. You demonstrate the beauty of who I am and the beauty of what it is and the richness of life together when you follow the pattern I've laid out for you. Sadly, we know from the history of Israel, that they've failed so many times at that. And we don't point the finger at them because we fail as well. The church fails as well on so many levels in this. But there is a pattern that God has said. Now, some of the, teruma, some of you might never have heard of the, that term before. I'll explain it in a little bit. Terumah, tithes and offerings, that is what I think equals generosity. That's what I'm suggesting the Bible teaches. Okay? But that's the minimum. If you want to say, is my life minimally generous? Have I at least met the minimum biblical standard? I want to suggest to you today that the minimum standard the Bible has for generosity is that you give to tithes, and offerings. And that equals a generosity. Many of you may not be aware that there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with the issue of money and wealth. And when such weight is given to a subject, we ought to pay attention to that. And that's what I'm saying. It's a a big subject and we can't uh, deal with all of it. But I'm going to work through a few passages uh, briefly. I'm going to read some excerpts from the passages. They're listed on the screen on the slide. Uh, So the first one from Numbers 18, beginning at verse 8. The Lord gave these further instructions to Aaron. This is what God said to Aaron. I myself have put you in charge of all the holy offerings that are brought to me by the people of Israel. I've given all these consecrated offerings to you and your sons as your permanent share. I'll just pause and add a comment there. That's the Teruma. i And I'll just got to keep going because for the sake of time, verse 20, Numbers 18, verse 20. And the Lord said to Aaron, you priests will receive no allotment of land or share of property among the people of Israel. I'm your share and your allotment. As for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. Okay, so very quickly, there's a terumah, there's a portion that's paid to Aaron's family that from the rest of the tribes, that's a terumah. Then there's the tithe that's given and that supports the Levites, Deuteronomy 14, 22. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. So a tithe equals 10%, one-tenth, all right, if you want to know how to do the mass. Verse 28. Deuteronomy 14, at the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your towns, so that they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. What you ought to hear there in that phrase is the social welfare system of the people of God. It's not a government system. It's it's God's social welfare system to take care of the poor, the widows, the foreigners living among you. Right? So Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. Sometimes you you hear this spoken uh, a lot when people speak about money. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8. Should people cheat God? This is God asking this question. Should people cheat God? What's your, what's your answer? Okay. And that's what the people said then too. But God's reply was, you have cheated me. <laughs> and the people said, but had, what do you mean? Uh, when did we ever cheat you? This would be an interesting conversation with God, wouldn't it? If God was to say this to you and to me today, if he was to say, you've cheated me, we'd be like, "Bang, of God, like not me, you're like, when? And you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. It's important that you know that the word tithes is plural, tithes which tells us that there are multiple tithes, as we've said in the previous scriptures. You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. The things that are due to me, right? These are just due to me because I'm God and everything I have is mine and I've entrusted it to you and you're just returning to me the portion that I'm saying is mine and I'm allowing you to keep the rest and to use that. Because I'm generous. I could be like the ATO. Anyway. And then God goes on and says, You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. And this is the bit we all love. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies... I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then this beautiful statement that God says to them, even in the midst when they've been failing this, right? There's this beautiful promise. If you would start to do this, if you would start to bring all this, then I'm going to open the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour out a blessing on you. And he he puts it like this. God says, try it. Put me to the test. Who doesn't love a money-back guarantee? I have, I have said to people, if you be in, in New Life Church, and I'm saying it to you again today because some of you are hearing this for the first time, if you begin to do money God's way and you end up with less, we will refund you what you've given to New Life Church. Now that is a serious promise. I've made it before we've never yet had to pay someone back God keeps his word that's all I'm saying God keeps his word he says to us he said to the to the Israelites test me test me I want to do this I want to bless you I want to pour out I want to open the windows of heaven I want to pour out a blessing on you You trust me, and this is why I come back to that that statement I wrote at the beginning about there's an accusation hidden in my heart. Jesus is not Lord. If my finances are not in accord with God's, God's plan, there's an accusation in my heart about whether I can trust him. Like, I don't know if I can trust you. That's actually an accusation against the character of God that needs to be dealt with. That's a root system. That's also a root system of idolatry. Matthew 23. Some people would say, well, that's, that's good wine. That's Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Let's go to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. This is a well-known passage when Jesus is, is listing a whole lot. of. He's, he's speaking woes. He's rebuking the Pharisees. And um, uh, it says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. So these these were, if you like, the pastors of the day. They were the ones responsible for the teaching of the people, the word of God. Jesus calls them hypocrites. He says, for you are careful. Now listen to the language here. You are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. All right. So they'd go to the market, they'd buy their herbs, right? And in Israel, get them in little bags and little piles and, you know, and they would separate out. They'd go a tithe for God from all their, all, all their herbs, right? So that's the level of detail which, which they're obsessed with tithing. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. So, first, so Jesus is saying there's actually some things that are more important in the law than tithing. But then he goes on and, say, and he says they're justice, mercy and faith. You're actually neglecting those things. You're doing this, but you're neglecting these things. And then listen to what he says. He says, you should tithe. Yes. You shouldn't stop tithe because, oh, I've got to stop tithing to do the justice, mercy thing and faith. No, Jesus says, you should tithe. Yes. But do not neglect the more important things. You see, it's a, it's a both and. It's never an either or, it's a both and, tithing and justice, mercy and faith. Then we go into Paul's letters in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 7, Paul's exhorting the believers in the city of Corinth and he's saying, Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this glorious act of giving. I love that language myself. This glorious act of giving. And Paul says, I, I want you to excel in this glorious act of giving. And New Life Church, we have a history of excelling in this glorious act of giving, but it's always, we're only one offering away from not excelling in the glorious grace of giving, are we? That's it. Verse 9, same passage, 2 Corinthians 8. And this is a beautiful verse. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, you've got echoes of Philippians 2 here, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty, He could make you rich. This is a beautiful thing. Again, God is the most generous being that exists. For your sakes, he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Then Paul's warning in Colossians 3, Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. 1 Timothy 6 Verses 9 and 10, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. That's a really sobering statement, isn't it? Because he's not speaking, he's not writing this... In the mainstream media, he's not writing this to people outside of the body of Christ. He's writing it to people in the body of Christ. That people within the body of Christ who long to be rich, they fall into temptation. They get trapped and they get plunged into ruin and destruction. Wow. If I was to say to you, do you want to plunge your life into ruin and destruction? Would I have any takers? Like, yeah, pick me. I want to... Yes. Yes, that's me. I want to plunge my life into ruin and destruction. Of course not. None of us were signing up for that. But... And then Paul goes on and says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, all kinds of evil. The love of money. Loving money rather than God and people is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people... In the body of Christ, craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's not the kind of body piercing you want. Craving money, wander away from the true faith. You see, so come back to my definition at the beginning. You, people who love money and are pursuing money, they forget the day of the Lord that's coming. They forget that. And so they end up away from where they should be. Okay, let's break this down. The next slide shows us how this breaks down. Doing money God's ways. This is how the tithes and tarumas work out. The taruma, that's the first 2.5%. So we, we, we receive our income. We set aside the first 2.5%. That's also called the first fruits in the Bible. So when you see that, you won't see the word teruminator in the Bible. That is a Hebrew word that the Jewish people use, but it's simply a word for first fruits. That's the first 2.5%. You take out 2.5%, you put that aside as part of your offering to the Lord. Then you take 10% from the balance that's left. That's the first tithe, the next 10%. And then we encourage people and we think the scriptures do this. Then there's a longer explanation that I could give you if I had time. There's, there's, a, there's a next tithe. Then from what's... So two point, minus 2.5... What you got, your income, 2.5%. Balance, 10%. That's, that's your first tithe there. Then you, got a, then you get another 10%. And you put that aside for your savings. That's what we, we encourage people to do. And then from the balance there, you take another 10% of that which is for the poor, which equates to about 3.34% per annum. And then you bring your offerings for things like harvest offering and all these other things on top of those. So the first bit is what you set aside and you give that to God on a regular basis and that is the tithes and offerings. And praise the Lord, many of you in New Life Church have been doing that for a number of years and it's why we've been able to do and accomplish more, more than we should have for a church this size financially and in so many other ways. It's so true. So somewhere that figure works out at about 16%. I believe the, the rabbis actually put a cap on people's generosity, about 20%. They, they encourage them not to give away more than, than 20%. It's not necessarily biblical. I think it's all about what your income stream is like and your cash flow is like. Uh, because I think there are people who are able to give far more than 20%. But all what I'm saying here, there's a way of doing this that evokes generosity. And it's, again, God's promise from Mal- in, to Malachi, through, to, or to the people of Israel through Malachi, was test me, bring all the tithes into my storehouse, test me in this and see if I don't open this. Now, some of you are like, man... We're up to our eyeballs in debt. We've got mortgages, interest rates going through the roof, cost of living's going up. How on earth are we going to do this? And it's like, if, you're, if your finances are not in this way, my encouragement to you is just just make a start. Wherever you're at, whatever, whatever your situation is, you just go, okay, you first of all set your heart. And this is what Paul talks about. To the Corinthians, he says, they gave generously because first of all, they'd given their hearts. So it starts with the heart. So again, you want to deal with any, any issues of accusation against God, of refusing to count, of rebellious, passive, rebellion that could be active or passive in your heart. You deal with that and say, God, I'm going to set my heart. Well, I've got no idea how we're going to accomplish that, but I'm going to do that. And just going to begin to give. Now you might be in a situation where like 2% might be your start point. My thing is start. And see what happens, see what God does. But you first of all set your heart, then you begin to give. And we've, had, we've seen people in this congregation on Centrelink benefits. Begin, set their heart to give and begin to give from their Centrelink benefits and seen God's blessing on their lives. And this thing that Paul says in the Corinthians, he says, see if you, see what you can do. See how far God will let you grow in the grace of generosity. I've shared before that this is where Julie and I set our hearts a number of years ago. We were 10 percenters. And then we're like, God, we want to grow in this. And we began to move fo- forward. And then we understood what Tarum was. So then we included that. And then we just kept, kept going. We kept... Pushing and seeing, God, how far will you let us go? And God has grown us and and enabled us to do that. And I want to say, the money didn't come first. So if you're thinking, well, this is good. My income's about to go up. It's like, uh, the Lord wants you to know what's in your heart. He knows what's in your heart. And so first of all, he tested certainly what was in my heart by not... I was like, this is not working. God, not working here. It's like, trust me, trust me, trust me. Because that's the invitation. Lord, will, you, will I trust you? Are you faithful? Or have I got a latent accusation in my heart against your character that I don't even know about? But actually money becomes the touchstone for that, the revelation of that. So a really important question is on this next slide about this. You have to ask the question: Does God want something from you, namely, your, you know, your money, or does He want something for you? Right, and this this is essentially is the Genesis three question. When the serpent comes, the divine being that the Bible says is the character of a servant, but is is a bright, shining being that comes and says, "Did God really say?" You don't really say to tithe, Did really say. Like you're a new covenant person, did God really say you should give to rumour and tithes and all these things that Wayne's talking about? You have to answer this question all the time. Does God want something from you? Does he want something for you? Is obedience for your benefit or for his benefit? That's the question. Like, Does God get something out of your obedience or does he invite us into obedience because he wants to release something to us? Right? It's an important question to settle in your heart because he actually wants something for you. He wants to lavish more and more love and grace on you. And then we, we need to keep in mind this, this next slide, this reality. I touched on this before. God's the owner, we're the stewards. We don't own anything, really. We get to use it for a little period of time. And then, and then we return it. It all belongs to him. Remember? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all that's in them. Now some of you have heard this joke before, but it's a good one to do on Dad's Day. There was a group of scientists that, that had a meeting with God and they said, God... We know how to make we know how to do what you did when you made Adam, when you took some dirt and you made it and you made Adam. We can now do that. And what did God say? Find your own dirt. Your own dirt. <laughs> hey, come on, <laughs> <You know. laughs> So we always remember we live with this reality we 're stewards, we aren't owners, OK. And this is another very important question from Jesus, from the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus asked this question, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Wow. You know, is anything worth more than your soul? We all get exposed to people that uh, have much more than we do. And um, one of the things you can do is find you can find out how wealthy you are on a global standard. And the reality is we always we always compare ourselves and think our wealth is defined by people who've got more than us um, rather than the other way around. This thing about what does it gain the world? What does, it, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? So you look at some of these you know, ex- people with enormous bank accounts but if they've lost their soul they've, if, if they're not rich towards God they have nothing so they, they should not be envied they should be pitied in one sense and motivated to pray so if, if you have a take home pay of around uh, if you take home about $50,000 a year there's a website you can, you can go and do this calculation. You can put this number in. If you, get, if you have after-tax income of, of $50,000 a year, so that's a pretty moderate amount, I think, and you're married and you've got two ki- children, what do you think that puts you in the global rich list? Whereabouts do you think it puts you? Just don't call out. Just have a think about that. Where does that put you? I'll tell you where it puts you. So I did. I was on this site this morning. Did it? it puts you in the top 13% of the world, which means there are 87% of people in the world who are poorer than you. Perspective really helps, doesn't it? I want to finish with a story about Osceola, Osceola McCarty. She died in 1999. She, um, But in July 1995... Osceola quietly donated $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi to create a scholarship fund for African-American students. Now, that, in today's exchange rate, I did the sums on this this morning, $234,000 Australian is what this lady gave. Now, and when word got out about her extraordinary story, there was a media frenzy that ensued and everybody wanted to know this. They wanted to know... How did an uneducated black woman who washed and ironed other people's clothes for 75 years, how was she able to donate $150,000 in scholarship money? It's a staggering amount when you think about it to establish a scholarship. She was born in Shabuta, Mississippi on the 7th of March 1908 and she was the only child of Lucy McCarty and she was raised by her grandmother she left school in sixth grade age 11 we got any sixth graders in the room or are they all gone out all gone out Six, she left school at sixth grade to help take care of her family and for the next three quarters of a century for the next 75 years She earned her living by taking in washing and ironing of other people every week until she retired from that at the age of 86 because of arthritis. Initially she charged between $1.50 and $2 a basket. Sometime after World War II they know that her rates increased to $10 a basket. She never married and beginning in 1967 she lived alone in a house inherited from her aunt. She never owned a car, she walked everywhere she went and she pushed a shopping trolley nearly a mile to get groceries when she needed them. She seldom read the newspaper, she had a television with only one local channel. She brought an air conditioner after her retirement. So remember, she retired at the age of 86. She bought an air conditioner for her house, but she only turned it on when she had guests. Here's a key fact about her. Her social life centred on her church and her Bible. That's an entry from the Mississippi Encyclopedia about her, and you can look that up for yourself. I want to suggest to her that she was a woman who was probably doing money God's way in saving and giving. And um, by the way, her, her total um, estate was worth, I think it was uh, $280,000 US. So she gave $150,000 US to, f- to form this scholarship and then the rest, when she passed away, went to others. So here's here's a good tagline that I've used many, many times about New Life Church is that we want to be a church where people look at what's happening, look at what's happening and we say the only explanation is God. The only explanation is God. And that's the reality of our harvest offerings. That's our history. I don't have time to go into it this morning. That is our history from beginning in a lounge room with a handful of people with no backing, no financial support, no social media, no ads to monetize on any platforms and God's faithfulness to us for 26 years. Thank you very much and here we stand today and we say the only explanation is God so let me finish where I began doing money God's way involves tithes, and offerings that is what I want to suggest to you is a biblical definition of generosity uh, feel free to construct your own using the scriptures if you, if you want to have a different uh, definition feel free to do that just go to the scriptures and construct your own definition of generosity that's the one I use And just to say again, that God is the most generous being that exists. And the absence of generosity in the life of a Christian is evidence that Jesus is not Lord. And an accusation against God. And it's the idolatry of greed and the seduction of thinking that what I have belongs to me. And it's the forgetfulness of the coming day of the Lord. Let's pray together. And the question I invite you to contemplate in this moment of silence is... Does God say you are generous? That's the question for us all. It's the question for me again today. Does God say you are generous? And it's to say, Lord, all that we have does belong to you and help us. We just, just begin to speak out a prayer to God for yourself, for your own situation. Whatever your financial situation is, and I'm aware that there are people in this room and watching on the web stream that your spouse is not walking with the Lord and you need to navigate that space very carefully in your giving. And I want to say to you, the Lord knows that and understands that. For some in the room, let's say our finances are nowhere near organized in the way that that You've outlined this morning for the scriptures and we're going to need time to bring that into order. Again, just speak out your heart's desire. Say, Lord, we we commit. We set our heart to obey you. Help us to bring all these things to align with your word so that we will be generous people by your definition, God. Thank you, Father, for that reality, that scripture that we read earlier, for the the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And we thank you for every blessing that we have inherited because we are in Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your incredible sacrifice, for your willingness... To lay aside your eternal glory and the worship, the honor, and the glory that was due due to you rightfully. To lay that all aside, to humble yourself. To take on the form of a man, human, and to humble yourself even further and become a slave. And to suffer and die a criminal's death to open up a way for us to have access to the Father. Not just us, but all humanity to have access to the Father, to be restored as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Holy Spirit, I ask you to make us generous like Jesus for the honour and glory of Father. Amen.